share a scripture that um, Chad actually shared a few weeks ago in church in the middle of his message that um, I love so deeply out of Psalms in the message translation. It says, I'm happy from the inside out and from the outside in. I'm firmly formed. You canceled my ticket to hell. That's not my destination. How many of you guys are grateful today for the admission into heaven? the access into grace, the ticket into salvation. Anyone else like something free? I like free things. I like free tickets. I like the homie hookup. We have been given the free grift of grace here today. He's canceled our ticket to hell. And he's given us access and granted us a ticket into the beautiful entrance of salvation. And I want to share from the premise of destination, from the premise of ticket, I want to share a message that might seem a little bit heavy, but it's relatable to where I'm at. I want to talk about the ticket out of torment. The ticket out of torment. Let's pray one more time. God, we're so grateful that you have given us access and admission into eternal life. And God, we thank you that we're on this journey with you. And today I just ask that you would simply show up and you would speak and we would leave changed. In Jesus' mighty name, amen? Amen. Well, um, Chad and I, uh, we both work and have four young kids, and uh, sometimes we get going and to-do lists and productivity, um, so it, it's good to be intentional and wise with our time. So at the beginning of the summer, I made a summer to-do list. Any to-do list people out here? Okay, yeah. Sometimes I write things on the to-do list after I've done it just so I can cross it off and feel really accomplished. Um, yeah, that, that's real. But, um, you know, it's like eat breakfast, perfect. Okay. I wrote three things on my summer to-do list. It was go to the beach, have a summer dinner party outside. You know, like I love four hours of eating. I don't know. I just like food. Amen. Right. And um, it was take the boys to a Dodger game. Well, um, Chad, being loving, amazing husband that he is, he's like, yes, I want to make all your dreams, girl, come true. Uh, And some, you know. But um, so we... (laughs) Well, extra, yeah, bonus point. No, um, so, so we, someone in our church, so generously, I don't know if they're here, um, reached out to Chad and said, "We want to give you free tickets to a Dodger game." And I'm, Chad's like, "Perfect. It's not ideal timing. It was last week on a Monday night, and uh, if you do all day church on Sunday, you know that Monday nights are a little bit sacred. But we're like, we're gonna cross it off the list. We're gonna get there." So we loaded up Maverick and Winston, our two and our four year old, and uh, they said, "Okay, here we have two free tickets, um, but four and under is free." And we're like, oh, okay, we didn't think of anything of it. And we get to the Dodger game, and we buy the hats and the peanuts, and we're getting ready to give our tickets to get in. Well, I'm looking at the fine print, and I'm, you know, I'm noticing that it's not four and under that are free. I think it was like two and under that were free. So my four-year-old, who already looks like a six-year-old, because he's got Chad's beautiful legs, uh, is um, we're trying to teach him at a young age how to... uh, 
be sneaky, you know, and lie. And uh, so we're like, okay, we have like a diversion plan and like we're giving the ticket and like pushing him under, you know, the bars and um, we're and we're just like sneaking and we're like, this is fine. We can put a two and a four-year-old on our lap and we get there and, uh, you know, the experience is amazing and we sit down in our seats and we have a two-year-old and a four-year-old on our lap. And um, if you've ever had a two-year-old on your lap uh, for a duration of time, you know there's a reason on flights they make two-year-olds purchase their own ticket. And uh, we, um, it, we lasted maybe four innings, maybe, maybe. And um, uh, thank you for ever giving us the tickets. We, we stayed all nine. But um, we, we actually lasted four innings, and uh, we're like, let's, let's just call it. Let's go home. And uh, we leave, and the boys had the best time and the best memories. Um, you know, but when we, when we entered into that gate, there was excitement. There was anticipation. Because when you're given a ticket to something, you're getting access. You're being granted admission. You're, you're getting a sense. You're scanning that barcode, and you're like, I belong here. You know, this is not, I'm not, I'm not trying to sneak in, you know. So we, we get the tickets, and we get in, and we have the best night ever. And, uh, and we leave, and we made memories, and we crossed it off of the list. But I want to talk today about what happens when we've been given the ticket to eternal life. The ticket out of hell is canceled for us. But when we're given the ticket, how come the result is not always happily ever after? How come the result is pain? How come the result sometimes is torment? You know, Jesus promises us a safe result, but not always a safe journey. And that's exactly what a ticket is. It's going somewhere. See, we're on a journey. We're on a race. In Philippians 3.14, it says, I press toward the mark. I don't glide. I don't float. I don't dance. I don't tiptoe. There's pressing. There's pushing that takes place. You know, sometimes our happiness should be a result of what we get to do. But sometimes our perspective is not always there. You know, I said yes to Jesus and his grace, and there was this, this moment of excitement. But sometimes... All of us in this room has, have faced anxiety or fear or worry or depression or, you know, maybe you are here and you have faced demons or torment. You know, his desire, and this is where our church is based off of, is that we do live fully in his grace, that we do have access to abundant life, to live daily in the beauty of who he is. You know, John 10.10 10 says that, you know, there is an enemy that's out to take us out. But his desire is that we would have life and have it more abundantly. You know, I, um, 
I, I, I don't know if you're here and you say, I'm, I'm pretty much a steady person or I'm, I, I'm actually a happy person. But maybe you know someone that's been faced with fear or anxiety or depression. You know, I just know that so much of our journey with Jesus is, is found in walking with him, in, in the middle place, and in, in, in the race, and in, in those seasons of ups and downs. And, um, you know, we're living in days, you know, where there's wars and there's rumors of wars, and sometimes it feels like there's battles or maybe battles in our own heads or there's climates. And everyone in here has faced some sort of opposition, some sort of battle, some sort of war, some sort of tension. And we've all experienced the strain of the stretching place, stretching between the promises and wanting the abundant life and, and his desires and his goodness and, and, and the call that's on our lives. And yet on the other side, there's a pull. There's a pull where the enemy is pulling us into fear and into doubt and into, you know, it, it, am I okay or can I do this? Am I feeling crazy? And there's this strain or there's this stretching place in the middle. You know, there's an enemy that is just as concerned about your future as you are. And we're in a real time, in a real place. And we're living in these days where it feels like every time we turn around or turn on the news, that there is a strain and there is a war and there is a battle. You know, I attempt to exercise. I am on the heels of an injury, but I love to exercise. And um, with my age, exercise requires stretching. <laughs> and, um, you know, stretching um, can be a little bit painful, you know, if your back hurts or if you have a sore muscle. But, um, you know, stretching is part of the strengthening process. Stretching is part of allowing ourselves to have more endurance. You know, um, in, in my, um, my pregnancies, you know, when I have been preparing to give birth, there's nine months, something that's growing inside of me. There's life that's formed. And uh, if you've never been to a biology class, there's a seed. <laughs> and uh, the seed grows, and it grows and grows. And in that, there's stretching. And sometimes when God births dreams or life in you or call or vision, there's a growing period that takes place, that it starts as a seed, but we have to nurture it. We have to take care of it. And I'm sorry, single men, but sometimes that requires stretch marks. And uh, when your stomach grows, you know, it's just part of it. The skin begins to stretch. But creating life comes with a process, with a preparation. And he's strengthening us here today on his journey with him, on our way to vision and on purpose.
And in that requires his strength. His strength that requires us to depend on him. Maybe you're in here and you feel like you're in a battle season. Or you're in literally a war. Maybe it is a, a, a battle of healing. Maybe it is internal torment. Maybe it's internal turmoil. Maybe it's, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe it's uh, you're so desperate for God's provision. Can I tell you that in the middle of war, that there is sometimes the beauty of wonder? That God shows up and shows who he is, and all his awe, and, and all his wonder takes place. In Habakkuk 5, Habakkuk begins to complain. I don't know if we can start with verse 1. And, you know, he begins to say, the burden which the prophet saw says, you know, how long shall I cry? How long shall I hear? He's pleading to God, even cry out to you in violence, and you will not say, why do you show me iniquity? And, cause, and cause me, cause me to trouble, for plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention. There is war. There's literally war. But in verse 5, Jesus responds, and this is his answer. In the middle of war, see what he says. He says, look among the nations and watch. Behold, for I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told to you. I will show you wonder in your days when you feel like there's violence, when you feel like there's discouragement, where you feel like there's no purpose. He will show up and reveal that there is wonder to behold, that there's beauty just around the horizon. And uh, I want to thank you so much. Uh, for standing with us, for praying with us. Chad shared uh, what our week has been like. And um, I had a different message, maybe a little bit more encouraging <laughs> message, uh, to share with you this morning. Um, but this is a passage that in the middle of our war, in the middle of our battle this week, um, I read this, this chunk of scriptures, and um, God began to show up and show me wonder on Monday morning as I was sitting beside George's bedside. In Matthew, if you want to turn there, chapter 17. This is where a parent was experiencing much pain. And uh, he was desperate for a miracle. And I don't know if you're in here and you're needing a miracle. But I was sitting next to George's bedside, and I was by myself, just with her, and it was quiet early Monday morning. Sorry, Clive was there, but um, I put him in the bathroom in the hospital so he could take a nap. But it was just us three. Um, it says, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and su suffers severely. This isn't the pain, this is hormones, we're fine. Okay. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear 
with you. Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, well, why, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Okay, you can sit down. I sat there, as Georgia probably had 200 seizures in 24 hours. And I spoke a mountain to be moved. And I don't know if you're here and you have a mountain. And can I just tell you above anything to allow his word to remind you of his promise. And um, there's beautiful promises in the Bible. Jesus performed 37 miracles and there's miracles of wonder, water into wine. There's mi miracles of healing the woman with the issue with the blood. There's, um, there's miracles of awe and, um, you know, there's all sorts of miracles. But in 37 miracles, there was seven miracles where Jesus touched someone with an issue of torment, either seizures demons, demons of the mind, fear, anxiety. Jesus comes in, in this beautiful story, to this father who is desperate. And I read this, and I didn't initially come up with the conclusion that, okay, I, I, I have faith that her, her seizures are going to be gone right now. I read this and wept. Because I, I read this and I thought, his concern is so specific to meet my need. That he puts beautiful words in the Bible that help give us promise and help give us access to hope. The issue on Sunday morning that made us call 911 was that the medicine that I was giving Georgia wasn't working. And her seizure medications weren't working. And I have at home emergency medications. They weren't working. And the paramedics medications that are a little bit stronger weren't working. And we get to the ER and the sedation, Valium's cousin, and all these things that are supposed to shut it down weren't working. And the next dose wasn't working. And sometimes the antidotes don't always work. Maybe you're taking medications relationally, 
or in, in business or in control or whatever the antidote is, maybe it's not working. But I turned to his word, and my comfort wasn't in necessarily the promise of moving the mountain. My comfort in this was that he is with me. My comfort was in the promise not only of a safe arrival. My, pro- my comfort was in the promise that he is Emmanuel, that he is with me in the ambulance, that he is with me in the emergency room, that he is with me in the waiting, he is with me in the store. When nothing seems to be working, he is with me. And I allowed his word in that moment to take shape and remind myself that his promise is that he is with me. His promise is that he is with me. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you go through the rivers, the waters, they will, over, they will not overwhelm you. Why? Because when you walk through the fire, when they likened that boy's seizures to the fire, you will not be scorched and the flames will not set you ablaze. Why? Because he is with you. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 in the message translation says, All praise to the God and Father of our Master Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following Messiah, but no more so than the good times of his healing comfort. We get a full measure of that too. What's the promise? He is with us. He is with you this morning in your storm. He is with you tomorrow in your journey. He is with you in your race. He is with us. So the man comes, and what's the first thing he does when he sees Jesus with his boy? He kneels down. He positions himself. He postures himself in desperation. Sometimes, I don't know how you posture yourself in pain, but sometimes I like to work through pain. When there's like trauma or something bad happening, I like to hold it together, yell at my husband later. (laughs) This is just being real. I like to hold it together. I like to start doing dishes, start pacing around my house. I like to work through pain. But I love this picture so much that he kneels down. And his position is that of, can you help me? Because he knows that he can no longer do this on his own. Can I tell you today, allow pain to push you into the right posture. Allow pain not to push you into work, not to push you into exerting, but to allow him to push you into the right posture. 
our kids, Chad and I have been working the last couple weeks and traveling and, you know, they do, we've been trying to keep them pretty busy, but they've been missing us. So in the middle of the night, our sleeping situation is kind of rough. And, uh, you know, they're in, we're moving beds and they're trying to sleep as close and in proximity to us as they possibly can because they just so desperately want to be with us even at 3.30 in the morning. And uh, three nights ago, uh, you know, we had done some musical beds, you know, in the middle of the night, and Chad was sleeping in Winston's room, and I had, I had the baby on top of me, I had Maverick on my left, and I had Winston on my right, and uh, good, si- good, good thing we have the king-size bed, but I had all the kids all around me, and um, my two-year-old's going through this naked stage, and so he had taken off his diaper, and he's not potty trained. And so I wake up to um, some warmth, and uh, he had peed on my left leg, and uh, someone was asking me, are you sure it wasn't like a drizzle? I was like, no, 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 no. The whole left side of the bed was wet. And, uh, and then I woke up to another sensation, and uh, Winston, who never does this, uh, wet the whole right side of the bed. And, um, you know, they, it didn't phase them. And I'm just, you know, frozen with three children, so desperate for sleep. And, uh, you know, I just, just closed my eyes and <laughs> enjoyed that sweet, sweet nap, you know. The best part of the story is that I probably shouldn't be sharing this, is that it's conference week, so did we wash the sheets the next day? You know, Chad and I slept in that bed the following night. But my kids just want to be in our presence. Whether that's on top of me or beside me or Filling my bed with urine from two and four-year-olds. They're desperate to get close to me. Are you desperate to run into his arms? Are you desperate to kneel before him and say, I can't do this no more. I'm out of strength. I need you. I need to cling to you. Let's run and kneel before him. And then it goes on in Matthew, it says, it says, so I. He describes his son's epileptic condition. And he uses the adjective fire and often into the water, highs and lows. And and then he says, so I, I responded, so I brought him first, not to Jesus, I brought him to the disciples. If you're in here today, and you're suffering in some way, and you're going through pain, and you're going through anxiety or torment in some way, can I encourage you to run into community? to allow your pain to position you into people, to ask for help. There is peace in godly counsel. 
There is peace in wise community. That's what the church is here for. And freedom comes in our commitment to community. Freedom's found there. Run to them. We need the church. And I'm so grateful for the church. Nearly 20% of Americans suffer with an anxiety disorder. That's one in five. Almost 25% of U.S. teens have had a panic attack. That's one in four. Almost 10% of young adults or young professionals, which is the majority of this room, have contemplated suicide this year. We need the church. We need to ask for help. We need community. It's dire. And then finally in the last verse, he talks about the mountain and he says, nothing will be impossible for you. Not for me, I'm all powerful, but for you. Because he formed you, because he made you. Can I tell you to have faith in who you are because of who he is? Have faith in how he made you, how he formed you. You know, the ticket out of torment is salvation and is proximity and is presence and is community, is godly counselors. But the ticket out of torment sometimes start with believing and having faith that the God who is all-powerful and all-healing can reside within you because he created you. He formed you. In closing, I want to show you, do we have the, the chromosomes? You know, I, I just want to show you real quick. Uh, we all, our DNA strand, you know, God created you, he formed you. And uh, we all have 23 chromosomes in their sets. And in chromosome 17 right here is where Georgia's genetic mutation lies. And uh, in that strand, I don't know if there's any scientists in the room, there's different, there's different coatings of our protein. And uh, there's so specific codes that make up one. So it's not just one of the 17s like had a little bit of bend, but it was literally one of the specific proteins within 17 that had a mutation. And I want to show you this number. When we received George's diagnosis, this was the specific gene mutation that was off. So Chad and I both in, in chromosome 17 have 117 plus one dupe G. But University of Chicago, the genetic department said that we've never seen this, ever. But there's an extra G at the end. Look at that. 117 plus one dupe G, G. When we named Georgia, we said we were gonna nickname her Gigi. And when we named her, we knew that God was forming her and creating her. 
so specific that the nickname would be specific. And he named us. He created us. He formed us. In our DNA, he knew us. And in closing, I'm going to have everyone stand in this room. I want to show you some scriptures in Genesis and creation in chapter 5. This was Adam's family line. It says, when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind, and they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he had a son in his likeness and in his own image. He named him Seth. And after Seth, uh, let's go down, and after Seth, there was Enosh. And after Enosh, there was Canaan. And after Canaan, on and on and on and on. Malachi and Enoch. Okay, next slide. Here we go. Names, names, names. Can we go to the final one that has the list of names? There we go. So it's Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Jared, all these names. Noah, keep going to the next one. And then can we show all of these names' meanings? Do you have that? So Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Mortal, sorrow, the blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing what? What's that last word? Do we have that sentence? Shall bring the despairing rest. Shall bring his rest. Through his blood, through his torment, and through his sacrifice. What is torment? It's suffering. Through his suffering on the cross that we would have, through his creation of mankind, despairing rest. That's his promise. That our ticket out of hell is abundant life. It is happiness. His desire is that you would live and that nothing is impossible for his creation. Nothing is impossible for him to work through you.